Hello, everybody. This is uh, Joel Marshall, and this is Lunch Therapy. All right, that was Boney. That's my uh, sidekick, Boney. Anyway, so so good to be here. We're streaming out to Facebook and YouTube and Twitch, and today is Interview Friday. I'm calling it Interview Friday. Um, I'm going to try and get guests on here on Fridays to interview, and today we, we are lucky enough to have the front man of the punk grunge band Gas Huffer, Matt Wright. Matt Wright has... Um, we taped this yesterday because I, what's tape? I don't know what tape is, but anyway, we taped it yesterday and um, because I don't trust the internet gods. I think maybe we're probably streaming okay today, uh, but if I threw in a whole Skype or whatever, that would be a mess. So we're going to get right to it. Show's going to be a little longer today because this interview is un, uncut and just letting it roll. There's a lot of interesting stuff in here. I figure... Hey, it's the internet. We don't, we're not confined by any rules. So the interview is about 40 minutes. And uh, Matt and I will be in the chat room. I think Matt will be there um, on YouTube. So if you guys have any additional questions, we can do that whole meta thing there. So without further ado, my interview with Matt Wright. All right, here we are. Uh, finally, this, this interview, after I don't know how many years, 30 years or something, Matt Wright and I are here talking to one another. That's right. We, um, we grew up together. Um, my earliest memory, my mom says that maybe we met in um, preschool, but possibly mm. like even uh, kindergarten or something. Probably, I'm thinking it was probably first grade. But my... Um, my mom took me to Rick Steves for piano lessons on the recommendation of your mom. Wow. I think that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> you were taking piano already and I wanted to take piano. And so, or I'd been taking from this person who got, was very like impatient. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so. Who was that? Cause I, um, probably took, was, maybe, I probably took piano from that person too. It was like an older woman and she okay. would actually like, hit the keyboard. I thought she was going to close the top of the keyboard on my hands. <laughs> oh, she was, and so, yeah. So then I got Rick and Rick was much more, um, I, he was much more nurturing. Although I, I didn't practice. I just was a whole, I was terrible at practicing. Yeah. Um, me too. I don't know why I was so <laughs> undisciplined. I was so undisciplined. Me too, I, man. Oh God. So every, I just dreaded the piano lessons every week. Um, thank God he became a travel guru and not a piano yes. teacher because that yeah. must have been frustrating having the kids come in. And I always had some kind of excuse why I didn't practice. And I just, oh, I had to like come up with that excuse every time. Yep. It's humiliating. Take the hit. Yeah. He yeah. sent me home one time uh, with on the music piece that we were working on, you know, yeah. his notes for that week written in pencil. His one note was crappy exclamation point. <laughs> yeah. I think probably in the piano bench at my parents' house, I still have music with like notes, uh, with his notes on them. Did he ever write crappy on oh, yours? Oh, sure. 
I'm sure. <laughs> and then he would always play something. He'd play the song. And I'd be totally inspired when I was in the class because he would play these crazy things. And you'd be like, yeah. he enjoyed it so much. And, and he just was, you know, really, really into it. And I thought, yep. well, this week I'm going to practice. Then recitals at his oh, dad's yeah. piano store, oh, man. which I think is now his travel store. It could be. I know it's like across the street or something. Yeah. I was um, so nervous when it came to the recitals yep. that I could barely even like keep it together. I would, I'd yep. get so shaky. Um, um, yeah. And then there was always one guy who obviously practiced. So yep. It was just like a master. He <laughs> <laughs> <Yep. laughs> just made us all look horrible. Yeah. <laughs> just get up there and just, oh, it was the craziest thing. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, so we were talking and, you know, I'd say we probably... I don't know how many conversations we had in high school. Not that many, probably. Yeah, I was we thinking about that. together and stuff. And yeah, I was thinking about you. that. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's probably a lot we can kind of dig into there. But it's just interesting to see kind of where everybody went and like how many. Um, I don't know. We just went to school with some people that went on to do some amazing things. Yeah. I was just did. thinking about that. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, we grew up in, in Edmonds, Washington. Um, we went to Woodway High School that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Shortly after we left, I think it probably merged with Edmonds High School. Yep. Um, and I can't say, I mean, I don't know why amazing people came out of that school. I can't say it was the most nurturing no. environment no, ever. <laughs> no, in spite of. I was having the other day I had on there the th weird things that our teachers said to us that you and yep, I. Yep, I saw that. That was nuts. And we yes. Had a, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, maybe I don't want to drop too many names. <laughs> we did have a principal, I was saying, who I thought had some. Um, some oh, the vice principal. Or vice principal, yeah. yeah that in was charge great. of discipline. <laughs> yeah oh my god he um, got real mad at me because of my weird haircut basically so you had like a like a like a cool looking haircut like what was i had like? a haircut that was like a dorothy hamill kind of lopsided mushroom do <laughs> that, like so so back then um you know and i was thinking about this too like all all of my school career pretty much i had this weird thing where it's like I'm not into sports. I read a lot of books. Um, just felt so nerdy, you know, and like, uh, you know, for the most part, people weren't that cruel to me, but sometimes they were. And then I just discovered this like world of music, right? Like yeah. new wave music. Yeah. K-Jet. I remember and, um, you used to wear a big puffy coat. Do you remember that? Coat. It was like a down coat that you used oh, to Oh, my mom made me a coat. Your mom and made you a coat? My mom used to do like she back in the day, she would make like rain ponchos and, and sort of these patterns of things that now you would go buy at REI or something like that. Oh, that might and have been she it. made me this, she made me this down coat with like a floral yoke. And I'm oh, like, oh <laughs> mom. Those As are if flowers. It isn't bad enough. <laughs> You're sending me out into the world with a yeah. floral yoke to junior high school. Yeah where I'm spending the entire day holding it because <laughs> I heard that if you go to the bathroom, they're going to give you a swirly. Oh yeah. I was always afraid that they were going to put me in the locker because the whole thing yeah. was like, they're going to put you in a locker. And I'm sort of claustrophobic as it is. And the idea, yeah. I think I'd probably, my head would explode. I don't yes. think there was a lot of talk at Madrona high, Madrona junior high of, of hazing. And yep. how people were gonna like make you do all these kinds of things. I don't think I really yep. ever, I don't think anything really ever happened to me. 
Well, I held it all day. Mm -hmm. You did? Yep. And that, what, the minute I got off the bus, I just like booked home <laughs> so hard, <laughs> run into the bathroom and I could like see my bladder was visible on the yeah. outside of my body. Oh, and then I would pee for like five full minutes. Oh, no. <laughs> I was so terrified. I threw up a lot in the morning. I think I was junior high school about was, junior high. It was the most uh, stressful time. Yeah. Yeah, that was a very stressful time. I was uh, the only one in my gym class that wore a jock strap. Yo, but nice. but I didn't, but I because it was on the list. You know? Yeah, they told us to have one. Yep, for sure. But I didn't know you were supposed to also wear underwear. <laughs> and uh, I could not figure out how it worked. I just couldn't yeah, figure it out. Yeah, and like, then one day, that. one day I was you know walking through the hallways with my gym bag and my jocks, my whole entire gym bag dumped out. Yeah, and my jock strap obviously fell oh, on yeah. the floor. And this girl, now I can't remember her name, but she was like, oh, she was like a really like desirable person to me, like a, this cool rocker chick. Yeah. I can't remember her name, but she grabbed my jock strap and she like ran, you know, oh, ran no. around with it, like, oh, look what I got. Come get it from me. Come get it from me and stuff. And that was just crushing, crushing blow. So you got into music in high school, like yes. new wave music. Is that, I remember there was one girl in our like, class uh who was really new wave she had a new wave it was Lori moan was always sort of getting yep. that direction yeah um, and then there was this other girl um who had a new wave haircut and so andrea Pernada. oh maybe that's it yeah that might be it maybe but yeah for me it was like um it was like oh well here's this kind of group of people in which my weirdness can actually have some cachet or like yeah. some i don't know and also just emotionally you know i found that music really like helped me out like there was kjet there was kcmu and then there was one other i think krab this one other station that was way way far to the left yeah and um always at the end of the dial were the interesting ones. yep yeah and just <laughs> kind of like um i started getting weird haircuts and wearing two different colored uh, converse and wearing oh, yeah. an overcoat <laughs> yeah um and going to things like concerts at the mural at the seattle center and seeing like wow. local bands like the localness of it was really um i mean you know on cage there were mixes mixes of things like the cramps but also mm -hmm. like you know like you know um kaja goo goo <laughs> like weird like british yeah. you know yeah. like pop bands that uh -huh. seemed new wave to us but um and then just like finding this kind of local community of kids in the high schools that were into that stuff and like, oh, there's, you know, because I'm into this, I'm like meeting girls and stuff like that, you know, and like it all came together and like, just like, you know, how you try to find an identity for yourself. And at uh, the time, I mean, we were growing up, it was sort of a pre-grunge kind of area era. I don't know if people call oh, way, it. way, way, like way. You guys would call it grunge. I, I don't know if that's a, like a, a bad word. Um, or is that really what it's been called what it's called now that music way do we want to do we want to talk about grunge well let's talk <laughs> so, about so i want to so talk most... about how you got into that because i remember in high school like you said you were kind of an outsider uh, you were a smart kid there were a lot of us couldn't really find our little niche you know yeah. because we couldn't define ourselves really very well i mean like you didn't want to be like a brain or whatever and you weren't yeah you weren't necessarily a jock and and you knew a lot of people but there were some people like kevin sherman yep. um you matt kite a lot of people that were sort of 
not in a like a genre. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were sort of disenfranchised. I know, you know, we started this thing called the Myth Club, which was sort yeah. of like the anti-click click, I guess. And that was sort of grew out of that feeling of sort of like not being in a group or not being cool or not being, you know. Can I ask you a question about the Myth yeah. Club? Mm -hmm. Did you guys have a, a, a faculty advisor? I wish we did. Oh. We always said that uh, Leonard Nimoy was our faculty advisor. Okay. I was just sort of wondering if somehow you like, <laughs> it wasn't a know, real like club. created it as an official club. You know? I created it. One day I was in Mrs. Sperling's class, history class, and I, wrote, yeah. I used to write stuff on the board uh, before class. So when she would come in, like I'd write like, hey, it's my birthday. And she'd come into class and everybody would sing happy birthday and she wouldn't know why. And she'd turn around and it'd be written you know, happy birthday on the board. Or I'd yeah. write something like, um, this is not true. So when she's lecturing, <laughs> yeah. like, it would just say, this is not true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, one day I wrote myth meeting, three hmm. o'clock. And at three o'clock, like all these people showed up. And we started that club and that's kind of how it, how it started. You mean the right people showed up or just random people just showed up? Just random people. I mean, it's like Jeff Lohman and, you know, a lot of them are friends of mine. Scott um, Amy. Matt, Matt Latimer. Um, yeah. Scott was kind of cool. Scott Amy was kind of in the cool group because he played on the basketball team. If you played yeah. on the basketball team, you were kind of in. Um, oh, sure. You know, that was like yeah. a very specialized like thing. If you did that, you were cool. I remember being at a, a uh, Woodway basketball game watching Scott play and his dad was in the, in the stands and his dad was like, perform, Scott! <laughs> his dad was great. <laughs> I saw his parents recently. They came down here, they were on a cruise and they came oh, and cool. they took him around town. It was really fun. Cool. But his dad um, said that when he was in the band, his dad, when he was in the band in high school, he would play the trombone and he would throw his slide out onto the uh, court if he was upset. So he was obnoxious. <laughs> so I'll get out. But I want to get more into like, the thing about, okay, so you're starting to go to these clubs and you went to clubs like downtown or something like that? Uh, the first thing I did was really just go to free, like all ages outdoor shows, right? Yeah. And actually some of these like local bands were actually playing at the high school dances. Really? Yeah. So there were a few bands that were like kind of new wave cover bands. Mm -hmm. And then, but then there was a band called Visible Targets that I remember. They actually oh, played remember. original material at school yeah. dances and stuff. Wow, and so school dances were like a big thing for me because it's weird because that's where the, some of that music was happening and I really liked dancing to it and stuff like that. Um, that was so like then, a huge event going to the school dances. Yeah, like that. yeah. And we even promoted some. I remember me and Robert Lee made, you know, we made a poster that was sort of kind of aspirational about what we hoped the school dance would be like with like an anarchy A and you some did? like kind of punkish. Yeah, and we went and we put it up at Edmonds High School. You know, we were like stapling it up because we wanted to get some of the cool kids from Edmonds that we thought yeah. were cool to come yeah. to our Woodway dance. And um, the janitor just like went after us. You can put that, you know, that ugly terrible awful do you bullshit. remember they somebody did this i don't know whether it was jerry parton or what but he somebody made a poster for a band that was fictional oh yeah and then they put it all around and there was like they said where it was going to happen and when it was going to happen and all this stuff and then all these people show a very apparently it was very popular but then there was no band <laughs> uh, i love that kind of stuff that's actually yeah. how mark arm started his first band mr really? and the calculations they were just all posters for fict a fictitious band wow. playing fictitious shows and, and then they became a real thing so i like i'm in favor of that type of uh too. what do you think <laughs> yeah. was the uh why do you think i feel like at that time we were pretty cynical um, pretty, uh, we really like to, I, I, I always say the myth club was, um, 
what its its mission statement was to confuse people that take themselves too seriously. Yeah. And I think that that was kind of the vibe at the time for people like us was to come up with things that were just confusing. Um, yeah. You know. Um, but yeah. Another I, thing Robert Lee and I did was we made this poster that we put in the display case at Woodway that was like a mashup of this old map that I had that had like some Arco dude, you know, like doing yeah. this and a skeleton and stuff. And it was like, Mr. Skelly says, better stock up on diet Pepsi for the apocalypse or something like that. And we put it, we just put it where all the other announcements were and we got in so much trouble. <laughs> That's hilarious. Now, when, when did you start a band? Was it when you were at Whitman? Um, I had a band actually at Woodway. You did? We had a band called The Body called? Bags. Oh, The Body so Bags, John of course. Townsend, John Townsend was in that band. I saw you guys at Lafernos. We played at Lafernos. Remember Lafernos? That was like a gangster place. Um, I yep. mean, that was like, his dad was like a Seattle gangster, I think. Could be. So the thing about Lafernos is that there was a guy that worked there by the name of Charlie Ryan. Uh -huh. Charlie Ryan was the drummer for a legendary Seattle band called the U-Men. Mm. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite bands of all time. And this this kind of also fits into the story of what I went on to do in music. But so Charlie was a waiter at Laferno's and we went to school with Tony Laferno. Yeah, Tony, Tony was, was behind me in uh, in my neighborhood. Yeah, I love so Tony, Tony Laferno. He's yeah, passed so away, unfortunately. Oh no, yeah, actually, I think I did hear that actually. Yeah, yeah his uh, sister lives down here in, in Southern California, but um, yeah, he passed away. Wow. He's a drag. Well, you know so for charlie it was like well the boss's kid asked me to play at this thing yeah. and so you know we finagled our way on the bill the body bags and we had and this is during the era when it was really cool to be a republican very strange <laughs> very strange time we i have another story about that but we had this upside down american flag with the words world incest tour spray painted on it yeah and uh, and our fellow um high school uh, colleagues were really offended by that and they came and yelled at us about it stuff like that and I was like oh yeah well how come you're drunk that's against the law um <laughs> so it was you and John Townsend and and who um, and then a guy named um Matt Jones who mm -hmm. went to a different high school but later went on to be in some cool bands in Seattle mm -hmm. and then Flip what was Flip's last name he went to a different school too um, and I started out as the keyboard player and my brother John was the singer and then my John, my brother the John Rick was like, Steves, this. Rick Steves origins coming back. Yeah, but so then I became the lead singer yeah. and so we played this show. What made you think that you could be a lead singer of a rock and roll band back then? Probably because I was a really bad piano player. <laughs> um, and also because I was interested in writing. Yeah. So, so it was sort of a, a vehicle for lyric. Yeah. We played this. We played this show at Jonathan Spazzato's band. Played. They were called like um, Monsieur Blanc or something like oh, that. With this I like French Jonathan exchange student. Had a band. Jonathan was in the body bags, and we actually asked him to not be in the band anymore. Oh no. Yeah. So when I think <laughs> back on that, I'm just like, man. Damn, I blew it. <laughs> well, but just also like, yeah. Why did you why? think that was important? Like, what yeah. an asshole. <laughs> Like, why would you do that to your friend? Like, why is it worth so it? Fucking really? dumb. You know I mean? oh my God. Yeah, there were these two other young women who answered the ad. Oh, a, a guy named Tim Ebling, who's no longer with us. Oh, yeah, Tim. I, he away. was like a genius, that guy. I remember one time, this is one time that I remember, maybe you were there. We were on yeah. a boat and we were playing Trivial Pursuit. Tim was there. Um, Lori Moan was there. Yep. And Tim was drunk, passed out on the ground. 
but we couldn't play the game because he kept yelling out the answers. Oh. Even though he was like passed out on the ground. And we're just like, would you just stop that? Yeah. Yeah, so he was a guy that actually did not go to any school, but we I met him because he put an ad in the rocket to oh, start really? this band. So that's yeah. how the high school band started. Wow. Um, but then that show at Laferno's in that killer ballroom that they yeah, had upstairs. That cool? that cool. And um, the U-men who were pretty famous for kind of stalking off stage if the conditions didn't meet their <laughs> meet their exact specifications. All the people I went to school with were yelling, play some ACDC at them yeah, and course. stuff like that. And they were just yeah, we'll see you guys later. <laughs> uh, but that's how I met Charlie Ryan. And Charlie uh -huh. actually is part of a family of um, his dad, who's passed on, was a sports investment counselor. Oh. Mm. Okay. Meaning uh, yeah. he was uh, running numbers. <laughs> I see. So um, yeah. that was kind of my first, like, this is weird. Like there's this Irish family in Seattle that's kind of like an East Coast, like how is this seattle -y? And then later on I realized, oh, of course, like Seattle is the edge of the world. Yeah. Like, of course. That's where people there's, go to there's, hide, there's, I think, probably. Well, I was, um, you know, a bunch of years ago, I was at the Bottleneck Lounge, which is a bar in my neighborhood. And um, I was talking to my friend, Mike LaFawn about the Ryan family and about um, just that whole story. And the young woman behind the bar was like, oh, are you talking about um, uh, the Ryans? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, my dad owned a Brutzi's Pizza and he was a bookie too. Wow. So they all knew each other and stuff like that. So that was Do like- Do you think they just had to get out of town and come to see No, them? I think that that is actually part of a sort of pioneer culture. Like Have I think you ever that heard at the of... end of the world- Yeah, you oh, know, I see. I mean, when you learn more and more about Seattle, there's all kinds of like speakeasies and, and you know, there's a book called the Jack, the Jack Roller. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book, but I've, I, I've been, I'm going to look for that because I remember hearing it was about that, about the speakeasies and the different uh, things that were going on in Seattle back in like the 70s or so. And, and even uh, before that, like the rich yeah. culture of jazz and African-American music and clubs in Seattle, Jackson Street After Dark is a really good book in that way. Okay. Um, so anyway, yeah. So well, how did we get there? Where we? Yeah. So then, okay. This? So you met this guy or whatever, and then uh, uh, they were like gods to me. The you met really? Yeah. They were, they were like huge. They, they made were like me a big really influence nervous. for you. Okay. Huge influence for me. Um, and I would say in them, I realized that there was like hardcore was kind of cool to me, but there was a part of me that always was really responded well to like grooves and kind of swing and stuff like that. And the you men were the first group I ever encountered that could really pull those things together like arty weirdness mm -hmm. and just like finger snap and swing yeah. and and kind of just aggressiveness all in one thing and that sent me down the path of like the cramps and the cramps sent me down the path, path of the sonics and the whalers and it's just that whole thing opened up for me and um yeah. Plus, they were just cool. They walked around in like top hats, all dressed in black, and like <laughs> bones around their necks. And yeah, yeah. They were just like these really cool, scary dudes. Yeah. Um, and then fast forward years and years later, when I was in my band at Whitman College, um, I walked into Fallout Records uh -huh. and realized, oh yeah, that's Tom Price from the U Men. That's the guy that works at Fallout. Fallout was one of my favorite record stores ever. Mm -hmm. And I just asked him. Hey man, what would it take to get the U-Men out to Walla Walla? 
and he's like, oh, about 200 bucks. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to get that together. So we did it, man. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's, I've been thinking about that a lot lately about how, what happens when you just ask. Yeah. That's, you know? that's a good point. It's a really good point. Um, and that's a whole other story that we can, we can talk about how that yeah. all went. But in the interim, so, so I went from going to these free all ages shows, you know, at the, at the Seattle center to like, you know, getting a driver's license and discovering, I mean, there was a lot of things. Um, I think that um, I just got into the very tail end of this club called the Metropolis in Pioneer Square. Mm -hmm. And I actually dragged Kevin Sherman down there once because I was terrified, you know, like yeah. <laughs> I was really scared of, of going in there. That was an all ages club. We used to have these all ages clubs in Seattle. Yeah. But, the, but the big, the one that I went to in its heyday and I went every single weekend was called the Gorilla Gardens mm -hmm. um, on Fifth that. Avenue yeah. in the International District. Yeah. Gorilla Gardens had two rooms. They had the punk room and the metal room. So it was like this weird kind of mixing of punk rock and, and heavy metal. And so the punk rockers and the rockers were kind of converging there. Um, was that, um, was Mother Love Bone, would they play there? This is way before Mother Love Bone. Way even before so, this. Yep. So I would go down there every weekend. I didn't even know who was playing half the time. I just, you know, Tim, Tim and whoever, John Townsend, we'd jump in my parents' 74 Volvo station wagon. Yeah. Um, which I would try to hide. You know, I remember going like there. A, it was crazy. It was a crazy place. It was fun. Yeah, it was like uh, I, I, I worried a lot about showing my suburban roots. <laughs> yeah, you're trying. Um, to yeah, so I saw the Butthole Surfers. I saw Husker Du. I saw the Wipers. Um, I saw an early um, version of Soundgarden that was a trio with Chris Cornell drumming, singing and drumming. Um, Green River, tons of Green River shows. Yeah. Um, so Green River is the band that later, you know, basically split into Mud Honey and Mother Love Bone. Mm -hmm. And then the Mother Love Bone faction became, became Pearl Jam. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I was going to see these shows that are all in that, um, uh, is it, our, our band could be your life. I'm trying to remember the name of that book, but that entire era of, of American music was happening at that club yeah. um, for an all ages audience for like five bucks every weekend. Was there anything um, going on like uh, body passing or? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, we call it, you know, this was even probably before the word mosh was, you know, it was yeah. still called it slam dancing. I got my nose. Slam dancing, probably, that's what it was called. Pro probably broken. That probably got my nose broken watching the accused like there was a cracking sound and blood came out yeah you know? we used to um, slam dance just even at the football games like the high school football games and yeah i used to wonder what it'd be like to um who's the physics teacher at mr freed at, at woodway mr freed i, I always thought physics. it would be really cool because physics and chemistry had like the big um experiment like the lab desk in front where a teacher's yeah. desk would be i thought it'd be so rad if kids had like physics t-shirts and while the while the information was being you know while the lecturing was happening they were like stage diving off of the like <laughs> they had a physics like a physics mosh pit that'd be good I thought that'd be rad that school would be um, more fun yeah, totally. Like, you know, like just so getting. Into Why do you think there was all that slam dancing? Do you think that was something that came out of the Seattle like scene or whatever? Or the... That was a, that was a punk rock oh, thing punk more, rock. more broadly. Yeah. yeah. So that was a national and international thing. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, the people that were, 
and there was no way to gather information really except through zines and stuff there was no internet right so people just were just making albums. up what punk rock yeah. is you, you would look yep. at the albums and you'd look at the pictures and stuff and try and figure out what the hell was going on it was like everything was like a mystery that's what yep. i liked about not having the internet yep. everything was a mystery to be solved and you could make stuff up and you could pass things on through word of mouth yep and uh it gave it a mystique yeah so probably that stuff was happening in dc dc hardcore scene yeah. um probably in la black you know flag and all that kind of stuff black flag yeah that's a whole that's a whole thing, thing but I remember really actually from the sort of trying to explain to people that this phenomenon that looked so violent from the outside was actually kind of like a community thing because everybody kind of took care of each other. They used to kind of take care of each other in the pit. If you fell down, someone mm -hmm. would pick you up. Um, I remember watching some show at Gorilla Gardens and a guy fell on his head. Oh. like he did a stage dive and fell on his head and went into a seizure oh, and i forget who the band was but they were like okay everyone make room for the emts and stuff like that uh, so um yeah anyway that was going it's on kind of a community going on there which is that's cool. what it felt like and i yeah. think it's interesting that you say there was like a convergence of like punk rock and heavy metal like that, in that in that in space that for sure yeah yeah and People talk about that as being kind of like the mix that gave birth to whatever we call oh, really? grunge, right? Like, yeah. like people who were punk rockers kind of embracing their like classic rock and heavy metal, you know, guilty pleasures or roots and, and you know, giving birth to this heavy music that was kind of yeah. like slower than punk rock and kind of, if you've, you've, you've seen hype, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the thing where the guy demonstrates punk rock goes up grunge oh, goes yeah. down right yeah. right um <laughs> yeah it's a simple thing it seems like a simple thing but there was such yeah. talent too at this at the time i mean you know you guys yeah yeah and, and just this idea that we were flyover country yeah. for any national tour like the people that came through and actually played in seattle had a big big impact mm -hmm. Um, because so many people just skipped Seattle and went straight up to Vancouver or and people were driving up to Vancouver to see shows and stuff like that. I think you talked about this in one of your uh, yeah. recent live streams about Seattle and how we just kind of felt like we were looked over and there didn't wasn't it feel any, like we were just like no pop culture. Yeah. I people didn't like know we were what was not out represented here. in any kind of magazine or any kind of TV show or a movie. Yep. You never saw a movie with Seattle in it. You're just like Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, Harry and the Hendersons. Right. <laughs> I didn't watch, but there's uh, no way they can get from there to there that quick. <laughs> right. <laughs> you learn about movie making. It's not called Pike's Place uh, Market. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> I know. Uh, oh, here come like the brides. Exciting. Yeah, they're here. Here come the brides. Right. Yeah. Which is in Seattle as well. No yep. one, no one would remember that, but perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then fa fast forward from there. So then you, when you became like a pop, you're a big rock band. What was that like being at the lead of a, you had a persona for one thing. It was almost like a character that you were playing by that point. Did that devolve, evolve out of something? You know, your, your persona, you had the big mutton chops and you yeah. move around on the stage, like, like kind of like, like you're an old man. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm an old man. Now I'm a monkey. <laughs> right. <laughs> So what did you? Those are like I mean, the two moves. How did that evolve? How did that happen? That's a really good question. Um, so uh, I think that was just sort of an expression of kind of all the things I was into in a way, like 
I mean, I was really into the literature of the American South. Um, my mom is from Arkansas and she, you know, we always had a lot of kind of like folk music and hillbilly music in the house. Yeah. Um, it's funny. We, I, th I remember one interview where people were like, at the same time, it really bugged me when people asked me questions like, are you into rockabilly? You know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah but I'm not into rockabilly. <laughs> Like, I think, I think at the root of what it was that we were doing, we were into punk rock in the broadest possible sense. Punk rock, the punk rock of the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And to some extent in the 90s, because you just couldn't, like, that's the zeitgeist we were in. And so we were pulling in, you know, weird Jesus lizard stuff and kind of weird arty stuff in the mix. And then we had this guy, Tom Price, who, who is, was our, you know, the guy that brought us all together, you know, using these sevenths chords and using these time signatures that were actually like happening in threes and sevens and nines, but jammed into four, four time signatures. Was he some kind of musical genius or what? He is a musical genius. Yeah, he definitely You guys is. had an alter ego band as well, right? We had a band called the Della Gunas. So the Delagunas was, if you said, hey, will you guys play at our wedding? Yeah. The Delagunas was all instrumental music, um, or starting with our kind of love of surf instrumentals. Uh -huh. But then we would play all kinds of kind of instrumental soul music and movie soundtracks and stuff like that. So that was really wow. fun. So the persona, I mean, you know, personas are good if you have to get in front of people. Did you find that you were like- Don't, don't you know what I mean by that? Oh, like you, you, you <laughs> I need I have to, an idea. It's part of you. Yeah. It's a part of you that you just yeah. bring forward to, to you know, I love, claim the space. I love putting on a mask, you know? You put on a yeah, mask and you all, mask. Of sudden, all of a sudden you get like a freedom, you know, to do yeah. all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's yeah. just, even if it's a little bit of freedom, like even just a slight adjustment, yeah. all of a sudden you're free somehow. You're not like, oh, they're, it's about this person, not about me. It's not yeah, about yeah. And yeah. sometimes that can be really good. Yeah, so I just actually thought of a really big influence on me in this way, which is that when I was in college, I took an uh, anthropology class and we watched a, a film called The Holy Ghost People, uh -huh. which actually became the name of my college band. It was so influential to me. Yeah. And what the Holy, this film, The Holy Ghost People is, is a black and white um, document of a, um, like a Pentecostal um, worship service uh -huh. where they handle snakes. Wow. You know about snake handlers? I've seen it. So, so they, there's a really good book about snake handlers as well called Salvation on Sand Mountain, I believe. And this journalist actually enters this community and actually participates in this, in this activity. And so the snake handlers interpret certain verses in the Bible really literally. And they believe that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, um, you can't be harmed by poisonous snakes or any oh. kind of poison. So they'll drink strychnine and stuff like I that too. That. So they like dance, you know, they're like throwing, they're singing hymns and throwing these that. like poisonous snakes around. Yeah. And the, the guy who's who's performing the music for the ceremony is like this dude in like a LeMay, like um, dinner jack. He looks like, and he's got the slick back pompadour and like a Fender guitar. And he's like, just playing this like, kind of like rockabilly music. And some old man is just like dancing like one of those, um, you know those things you see at farmers markets where yeah. it's like a like a jigging wooden doll yeah. at the end of a stick you yeah, know like right oh yeah yeah you know, like 
And that to me was just like, this is what I want a rock and roll show. I, I want to be in a oh band God, that so makes great. people like lose themselves in that kind of. Um, and did you find that with your audiences that they just kind of sometimes. lose themselves? You said that you had a kind of communal experience. Like you didn't want it to be about you necessarily. You wanted it to be an experience. Uh, for true? me, the pinnacle of it was kind of the total um, um, disillusion of ego, kind of like this idea that you're involved in this kind of almost Dionysian like uh, ritual it, it, that's so about the experience that the you in the experience kind of melts away, which is a weird thing because you're kind of trying to lead it and shepherd right. people through it in this way. But like, if I was fully consumed in that kind of weirdo, old man, monkey. <laughs> I mean, by the way, Joel, I, the yeah. entire time I was hammered. Yeah, that's what I understand. That's what you told me. I was like, but, but um, you know, I mean, I guess that's maybe that's what you needed to do at the time. But, do, you know, you, I find that a lot of times actors um, end up having like drug problems or, or alcohol problems because yeah. they couldn't get over that initial like kind of fear you know so they grab that in the beginning and then that enables them to do it and now all of a sudden they're kind of dependent on it like they get yeah you know what i mean and i don't know whether that happened to you or what um well i don't drink anymore no, most of us <laughs> don't, the living ones <laughs> um i, don't I can say so, there's some other things about it as well where yeah. I, I would i would like um I gotta think about if my kids are gonna see this or not. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to say. I, uh, I just remember I certain instances where, like, I would really believe that I was getting down. You know, like yeah. I was in a James Brown mode, just like fully putting it down. And then I would talk to people after the show, and they would be like, "Dude, you were barely moving." I <laughs> <laughs> mean that that entire package of espresso beans that I ate before <laughs> I went on stage actually, you know, like the micro dancing wasn't yeah. visible. It wasn't um, visible. <laughs> That's hilarious. But what you actually make me think of is, um, uh, which Walker Percy book is it that talks about, it's a book of essays that talks about um, this idea of re-entry for creative people. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a flow like that, when you leave yourself behind and, and you are fully in a flow, um, it can be kind of a drag to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Into yourself and into you. the world. Right. So I think a lot of people become addicted to all kinds of things as a way to help them manage the, the, um, just the depression that comes with that re-entry. Isn't that right? something? It is. Yeah. I think that's a very good point. I, I find that as a performer too, that it's like a kind of a roller coaster ride of, of emotion. Yeah. Uh, and there's lows to all the highs. Yep. I remember uh, the lead singer of REM talking about that. Michael yeah. Stipe was yep. saying that when he comes off tour, he has to kind of come down. He wants to be around a lot of his people that have known him for a long time because they can kind of help him bring it. Help oh yeah, that's a whole thing. God complex that he had, you know, developed in front of all these oh. people. You know what I mean? Or this high or whatever. Yeah. I had plenty of things on tour to knock me off of any pedestal <laughs> I've been building for myself. <laughs> but coming home from that is for sure a thing because the thing about being on tour, for me anyway, is that it was it was the only time in my life, although maybe we can talk about how that's changing a little bit for me, but um, where the thing I wanted to do 
the thing I was supposed to do, you know, and the thing that was sort of making me money were all the same exact thing. Which is and, and the instructions were so clear because for me now in my daily life, it's like, well, what do I do first? What am I supposed to be doing? Yeah. You know, that's yeah. always been a struggle for me. But in, when you're on tour, it's almost monastic. It's like, okay, everyone's awake now. Pack up your shit, get in the van. And then you're in the van for a certain amount of time. Sometimes it's a really long time. Maybe you're doing a lot of reading in there and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, by the way, we had no cell phones. We had no laptops. Um, I had a pager. We can talk about that in a minute. But, um, <laughs> but then you get out of the van, you load your stuff in, you sound check, you wait for the show, drink a lot of free beer, waiting for the show. You play for like 50 minutes, wait to get paid pack it up, go back to the house that you're staying in. We always stayed at people's houses with, with very few exceptions. And then for those people, it's like, woo, party night. Like the band is here. Yeah, right. Um, and you just repeat that over and over and over and over again. And there's no, there's never any question about what it is that you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, and then when you get home, it's like, oh, this is like, no, like normal life. You know, if you have a significant other that you're coming home to, which I did for a, for all of it, actually, there's this dance that you have to do a little bit. Like, I, I know you remember me, you know, and like yeah. I tried to write, but, you know, I was in a flow like you did matter to me, but I was self-actualized right, right. <laughs> for about six weeks. Yeah. Oh, man, that's tough. Well, they, it's just an interesting experience, you know. Yeah, and it's an adjustment period that you always have to go through. Yep, reentry for your mate too. It's it's totally. Difficult. I mean, yep. The um, the thing that you said about being um, it being like an experience that is beyond the ego, I heard that also from the Grateful Dead that that's one of the things that they hmm. did do uh, was their idea of performing was not is like it's not about us and it's not about our ego. It's about everybody in this communal experience, and we're just kind of a vessel for that. And I think yeah. that that's kind of a, a good way to go. I mean, in general, as a performer, something to think about at least. Um, oh, for sure. I mean, the, the thing that I'm finding in my advanced age and even, even professionally and kind of what I can see as a way forward professionally is that, um, well, this is a slightly different topic, but there's this, for me, what's, what's emerged is that um, confidence mm -hmm. When, when you locate confidence in kind of yourself and like, oh, am I good enough? You know, are they going to see through me and right. see that I'm not worthy in some way? Uh -huh. it, that's just so, like the flip side of that is identifying a mission. So, so you relocate kind of everything in that mission. It's no longer about you. It's about moving the mission forward. Yeah, that's something we, that I, I think is really important. I mean, whether yeah. it's, you know, whether it's and a myth club or whatever, is deciding what is this about, and then how can I facilitate that thing, and then it's not it about matter? my ego and not about my thing. Yeah, it's a sort of more about how you seek to move the mission forward and how you seek to serve the people you want to serve with that mission. Yeah, and then like what I found is, you know, that stuff has been kind of clicking for me a little bit lately, and so now I can talk like to anyone about this stuff you know, with tons of confidence because it's not really about whether or not it's, it's me, you know? And then the, uh, the other thing that I've kind of come to realize, and I know I'm getting way off topic here, but no, there's always going to be someone that does what you do, mm -hmm. the exact same thing that you do, 
there's going to be tons of people even that do it better than you do it. Mm-hmm. But for a certain group of people, the way you do it is exactly what they need. Mm, that's interesting. Because I, I find that uh, sometimes as far as uh, self-esteem goes, we, I, you really get yourself in trouble when you start comparing yourself to other people. Because there's always somebody out there. Totally. Or, or people are like, oh, you're doing that? Oh, but this person's doing it, and that person's doing that, this person. And you're, you start to look at that. And I find for me, that's when I start to kind of die inside. <laughs> but I've had to. Yeah, but that can be a good to, sign too, because that means there's an audience for it, right? Like yeah, there's like absolutely. people like that kind so of stuff. So you have to find ways yeah. not to die inside. When you see that, you have to go, you know, find out like, okay, then, you know, how can I get more specific about my purpose in this world, right? And also, never, how can I never compare myself to another person because it's not helpful for anybody? It's the enemy, comparison is the enemy of joy, or what, I forget exactly what that, there's a saying about it, what that phrase is. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is an interesting time in life yeah. because, um, you know, a lot of us are, are having to kind of dig deep and kind of really like learn yes. the lessons, you know, really learn the lessons. Yep. Yeah. I love, I, you know, as terrible as it is, I kind of have been, you know, really experiencing this notion that, you know, even more than 2008, mm-hmm. we're being forced to strip everything down to really the essentials 